Hi, everyone. Welcome to this joyous wedding podcast. I'm Andrea Pertel, and I'm a professional wedding officiant located in New Jersey. In this weekly podcast, I will share with you some helpful tips for your wedding, each week focusing on something different. I will also have a question-answer segment. Today, we are discussing interfaith ceremonies. Most couples turn to a professional officiant when looking for an interfaith ceremony. I have come to love these ceremonies. I have learned so much in my career as a wedding officiant about different religious and cultural traditions. So first, let's look at an example of an interfaith Jewish Christian wedding ceremony. I have had the honor to officiate many of these ceremonies. Um, You may begin before the ceremony starts with the signing of the ketubah. This is done prior to the start of the ceremony and usually the officiant, bride and groom, their two witnesses, their wedding party and family will gather in a room with a table and the ketubah sitting out. The ketubah is a Jewish marriage contract. The word ketubah literally means written. It is signed before the wedding service by the bridegroom as well as the two witnesses and the officiant. The text is carefully integrated into a beautiful background, making it a stunning piece of artwork. They were originally meant to be a marriage contract. However, the text of today's modern ketubah reflects the values shared by the couple. So if you have never seen a ketubah, I encourage you to look it up online and you will see just how beautiful they are. They are a real piece of artwork. After everybody signed it, the couple will have it framed and usually they hang it up at a, in a prominent place in their house. It's, it's that gorgeous. So the ceremony begins and a lot of the elements are very traditional It'll begin with the greeting, the greeting of the guests and opening words, and then the invocation. And for these interfaith ceremonies, the invocation is the opening prayer that invokes or invites God to be present and bless this ceremony. I like to include the Jewish tradition of saying the Shehekianu. The Shehekianu Uh, is a prayer that expresses our gratitude for being there with the bride and groom on the special occasion. It's a very short prayer, and it goes like this. Blessed are you, creator of the universe, who has given us life, sustained us, and permitted us to celebrate this joyous occasion. And then traditionally, either the bride or the groom, whichever one is of Jewish faith, uh, we'll repeat it in Hebrew, or you can always have a family member do that. If the bride and groom have chosen to have a huppah, they're standing under a huppah, and again, if you haven't seen a huppah, look it up online. There's so many beautiful ones, but it's a structure that the bride and groom stand under. 
And the officiant would also, at the beginning of the ceremony, explain what the chuppah is. Um, It's traditionally explained like this. The structure of the chuppah is not much more than a hint or a suggestion of the possibilities before them. It is up to them to make it solid. The chuppah covers the couple from above with protection from the harshest elements, but does not protect them from everything. Together, they will weather their storms, and their love will grow stronger as a result. The chuppah's sides are open to allow in sunshine and fresh air, which nurtures them both. It symbolizes their willingness to be open and honest with each other and does not allow for secrets to be kept inside. And inside the chuppah, just as inside their new home they will create, there is the love from their families who raised them, as well as the love that they have found with each other. So, and then the ceremony will continue on very traditionally with the charge to the bride and groom and the declaration of intent. Those are the I do's. And then the vows, and the couple can choose to repeat traditional vows or non-traditional vows after the officiant, or maybe they're going to write their own vows. And then the blessing of the rings. It usually begins with the officiant saying a prayer of blessing on the rings and then talking about what the rings represent. And then it's the wording that the couple says to each other as they place the rings on each other's fingers. And for this interfaith ceremony, I love the traditional Jewish wording. So as they place the rings on each other's fingers, they say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I love those words. I just think that that's so beautiful. And then another Jewish tradition is the seven blessings and wine ceremony. Many people do these together. Or if you want, you can just do the seven blessings and not the wine. But the seven is the most frequently used number in the Bible. It took seven days to form the earth, leaving the number seven to mark for us the path to creation. Since every marriage is celebrated as a new creation, it is customary in Jewish tradition that the bride and groom are bestowed with seven blessings over a cup of wine. So generally at this part, you would have a table set up with a a glass of wine and the couple will go stand behind it and the officiant, or you could have a family member, read the seven blessings. They're quite beautiful. I'd like to share them with you. They are, may your marriage be as sweet as the fruit of the vine. May you work together to build a relationship of substance and quality. May the honesty of your communication build a foundation of understanding, connection, and trust. May you respect each other's individual personality and philosophy and give each other room to grow and fulfill each other's dreams. May your sense of humor and playful spirit continue to enliven your relationship. May you understand that neither of you is perfect. You are both subject to human frailties And may your love strengthen when you fall short of each other's expectations. May you continue to be best friends, better together than either of you are apart. And if you are including the wine in it, then the officiant will continue to say, wine is a symbol of the sweetness we wish for your life. 
There will be times when you drink from other cups, from bitter ones, but life offers opportunity to savor the sweetness. The awareness of the possibility of a life filled with true meaning is what we toast, the good that is life. Wine is also a symbol of sharing. As you continue to share in each other's life, you will, as a symbol of this enduring cooperation, share this cup of wine. And the officiant will say this prayer, Blessed are you, creator of the universe, who has given us the fruit of the vine. And again, either the bride and groom, or groom, whichever one is of Jewish faith, may repeat that short blessing in Hebrew. And then the couple shares uh, from the glass of wine, each taking a sip. And then I would include the um, Christian tradition of lighting a unity candle. In Christian worship, the tradition of lighting candles has many spiritual meanings. The light of the candle represents the light of a person's life. The flame represents the eternal truth of God. It is a reminder of our connection to source. The light shining forth represents God's truth shining forth upon the world. A candle melts until its flame is is extinguished in the physical, but a soul's spark is eternal. For believers to collectively light a candle represents the sharing and fellowship of faith. To light candles at a wedding is a beautiful symbolic representation of a couple's joining in the covenant of marriage. And then the officiant will instruct the bride and groom to please take their two tapered candles. Uh, and these candles represent your individual spirits, your individual connections with God and all that you are, all that you have been and all that you will become. And then together light the center candle that represents your two lives joined into one light and the joining together of two lives and families into one. So, Um, Then you can include, you might want to include a reading, prayer, or poem. Maybe one relative on each side of the family could come up and say something. That's a beautiful way of the two families and two faiths joining as one. And then, of course, the most popular would be the ending. The officiant will pronounce the couple very traditionally uh, in so much if you have consented in holy matrimony and have witnessed the same before God, family, and friends, so on. Um, But they don't kiss. I now pronounce you husband and wife. They don't kiss. Instead, you do the breaking of the glass, and the kiss comes after that. So it usually goes something like this. The traditional end to this wedding serves as a reminder of the fragility of life, even during the most joyous of celebrations. The custom of breaking the glass has a number of interpretations. Some say it is a symbol of the love that will remain in good times and in sorrow. The permanence of the broken glass represents a permanent change in the lives of this couple as well. Just as glasses are broken and cannot ever be exactly the same as they once were, their lives will never quite be the same. And some say... The moment that Johnny smashes the glass symbolizes the last time he gets to put his foot down. Mary and Johnny, our wish for you today is that the innumerable pieces of the glass beneath your feet will be a reminder 
of the innumerable ways you will love each other in the years to come. At this time, Johnny, you will have two of the greatest joys of this day. The first will be your opportunity to stomp on the glass, and then the greatest joy of the day to kiss Mary for the first time as your wife. And then generally the officiant or maybe the best man or another family member will place the glass that's wrapped in um, a napkin on the ground. The groom will break the glass, kiss his bride, and everybody shouts mazel tov. So that's quite beautiful. And we've incorporated some beautiful elements from each religious tradition. And like I said, you, you can also include family members. That's also very nice. So uh, another interface ceremony that I enjoy doing a lot is the Christian Greek Orthodox. And this ceremony is uh, quite easy to combine since both religions honor the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in the Greek Orthodox ceremony, many elements are done three times as a symbol of the Holy Trinity. Both ceremonies place God at the center of the marriage and remind the couple to seek the spiritual guidance of the Holy Spirit. One of the most popular elements of a Greek Orthodox wedding is the crowning. So the crowns, for thousands of years, people in Greece have been crowned with wreaths, signifying achievement. In Psalms, we read, For thou hast made them a little lower than the angels and have crowned them with glory and honor. At weddings, the wreaths signify mastery of the couple's home and give honor to the spark of divinity that resides within both of them. This is a symbol of how in marriage it is our higher selves that the couples promise to one another and the very best that they have to give. So there's this process during the ceremony of putting the crowns on their head and it involves the maid of honor and the best man. So once the crowns are on the head, with the crowns on their head, the officiant will lead them around the table three times. The maid of honor follows, holding the ribbons from the crowns. On the table should be the Bible, and this represents the word of God and our redemption by Jesus. The couple walking around the table symbolizes that um, Christian living is at the center of their married life. And of course, they go around it three times for the Holy Trinity. And then the lighting of the uni unity candle is also done in the interfaith Greek Orthodox and Christian ceremony. Uh, as we talked before, it is a meaningful expression at a Christian wedding. It symbolizes your individual spirits as well as your individual connection with God. In a traditional Greek ceremony, the lighted candles symbolize the purity of their lives, which should shine with the light of virtue. Another one of my favorite interfaith ceremonies is the Christian Wiccan ceremony. I love Wiccan ceremonies. I just think they're so beautiful. They are nature-based ceremonies with references to air, fire, wind, and earth. 
as well as blessings from the four directions, the north, south, east, and west. Um, at the request of a bride, I modernized the casting of the circle at the beginning of a ceremony to create a sacred sp uh, space so, so that it fit better with her groom's Christian family and it didn't stand out so much. I plan on doing a podcast in the near future focusing solely on these ceremonies. However, for now, if you go to my Facebook page, This Joyous Wedding Podcast, or my Instagram, This Joyous Podcast, you will find links that will take you to um, examples of interfaith Christian Jewish ceremonies, the interfaith Greek Orthodox Christian ceremony, and the interfaith Christian Wiccan ceremony. These ceremonies will be in full so you can see how they go and feel free to use any wording from them. There are also so many unique and beautiful customs from around the world, such as the Japanese tea ceremony, or I've also done the standing on a rug for the Persian ceremony. Another favorite of mine has been the interfaith Christian Hindu ceremony. Um, some of these traditions include the garland exchange, which is Hindu. During the ceremony, the couple exchanges fresh garlands, welcoming one another into each other's family. I like to make it one of the first gestures in an interfaith ceremony. It is a lovely way to establish a connection between the couple and their loved ones. I usually use the lighting of the unity candle, which is a Christian or Catholic tradition, and that will, also, will then become the sacred fire, which is a Hindu tradition. Although the couple usually stands during the ceremony, if they do sit, as they do in a traditional Hindu ceremony, the bride sits to the groom's left by his heart. In the Hindu tradition, the groom presents the bride with a mangal sutra. This is a beautiful necklace that symbolizes good luck, love, and friendship. In Sanskrit, mangala translates to sacred and sutra to thread. He then applies sindor to the center of her forehead. These two offerings signify the groom's devotion to his bride and her new status as a married woman. Then, the seven steps or seven vows of marriage will be done around the unity candle table, incorporating Christian and Hindu traditions. So the bride and groom will make seven encirclements around the unity candle table. Holding hands, they take seven steps, symbolic of their common journey through life. Before each encirclement, the officiant will announce one of the seven vows of marriage. And they are, may you be blessed with an abundance of resources and comforts and be helpful to one another in all ways. May you be strong and compliment one another. May you be blessed with prosperity and riches on all levels. May you be eternally happy. May you be blessed with a happy family life. And may you live in perfect harmony, true to your personal values and your joint promises. May you always be best friends. How beautiful is that? And very much 
like the Jewish seven blessings over wine. See, isn't it remarkable? The more you learn about all the different religious traditions, you realize we're all connected. And all of these traditions are very loving. And and who wouldn't want any of them in their ceremony? I just think they're all so great. Um, So the other thing that people, even if it's not a faith-based tradition, people like to include cultural traditions. I just, this summer, did um, had a couple of weddings where Hawaii was important. One couple had lived in Hawaii. The other met in Hawaii. Um, and so they wanted to include some Hawaiian traditions. The first one really wanted to include the um, blowing of the conch shell. Um, they had brought one back from Hawaii. So we were out on the beach here at the Jersey Shore, and we began the ceremony with the groom blowing the conch shell. In Hawaii, the blowing of the conch shell in the four directions announces the start of your wedding ceremony and ushers in all the good thoughts and energy, also called mana in Hawaiian. It brings blessings for a long life and a long relationship. Of course, a very popular tradition is the exchange of lays. Uh, this was a couple who lived in Hawaii, met in Hawaii, and uh, and they, they came back to New Jersey to get married around family. So I included this exchange of lay. I know that Hawaii is a very special part of your lives and that you wanted some aloha in, your, in their ceremony. So the Hawaiians... The meaning of aloha is threefold. Hello, goodbye, and love. When one arrives in Hawaii, they are presented with a lei. It is a sign of welcome, so hello. When one leaves the island, the lei they were given is thrown into the sea. It means that someday you will return, and so goodbye. In the wedding ceremony, the lei is a symbol of the love you have to give to one another, an unbroken circle that represents your commitment and devotion to one another. Then the officiant will hand the garlands to the bride and groom, and they place them over each other's head while saying aloha. Um, s- some of the the best are the Irish traditions. There are so many beautiful Irish blessings, especially for weddings. So I don't have enough time in this podcast to read the Irish wedding blessings. However, if you go to my Facebook page, um, this joyous wedding podcast, I will have a link to um, a lot of Irish wedding blessings for you to read. Also, my Instagram is this joyous podcast, but I would like to share with you some fun Irish superstitions and traditions. The first superstition is a man should be the first to congratulate the bride. It's bad luck if a woman gets there first. It's good luck to rise with the, to the song of birds on your wedding day. It is good luck if it rains on your wedding day. It is bad luck to put on your own veil. Have a well-married woman do the honors. The bride should never take both feet off the floor when dancing with her new husband. It gives the fairies an edge. The chime of bells reminds the couple of their wedding vows 
That's why giving a bell as a gift has become an Irish tradition. Many Irish brides carry a small porcelain horseshoe in their wedding bouquets for good luck. The wearing of the clatter rings are probably one of the most popular Irish wedding uh, rituals. When worn on the right hand, the ring indicates that love is being considered. When the ring is placed on the left hand, the wearer is married or has been hand fasted. I just did a wedding uh, where both wore clotter rings. However, I, I do find that a lot of times uh, it might just be the groom that has a clotter ring because the bride will have her diamond and maybe a band that matches it. But I introduced the clotter ring as this. The bride and groom have chosen the traditional Irish clotter rings for their wedding rings. This ring dates back to the 1700s and originated in the Irish village of Galway. They have chosen this ring because of the beautiful meaning behind the symbols on the ring. The hand represents friendship, the heart represents love, and the crown represents loyalty. These rings have no beginning and no end. They set forth the eternal nature of real love. They will represent the love, friendship, trust and loyalty that the bride and groom promised to each other this day. And hand fasting is one of the most popular Celtic traditions. I just love hand fastings. There are so many ways to do them. Celtic, pagan, unity. We will talk about these in depth in another upcoming podcast. Um, they're one of my favorite traditions. So uh, Celtic is probably the most popular. This is a symbolic binding of the hands that inspired the terms bonds of holy matrimony and to tie the knot. Throughout history in many different ways and in many different parts of the world, the hands of the bride and groom were bound as a sign of their commitment to one another. So be sure and check out the podcast Facebook page and Instagram for some hand fasting examples. And as I said, more Irish blessings and examples of all the interfaith ceremonies that I shared with you. And of course I didn't share them all. I have done so many interfaith ones. I didn't even get a chance to review um, a lot of them. So but I do want to hear from you. Did you have an interfaith ceremony or did you include any cultural traditions? Um, I would like to hear from you. What did you include and how did you do it? Do you have any stories to share with us? Uh, whether it's a heartwarming story, a comedy, a tragedy, an oh no, she didn't or oh no, he didn't moment, a wedding fail, <laughs> whatever it is, I'd like to hear from you to share on the next podcast. Share your advice. Is there something you didn't do that you regret? Is there something you did do that you regret? Please email me your questions, your stories, your advice to Andrea at thisjoyous.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A at T-H-I-S-J-O-Y-O-U-S dot com. Um, and remember, I just share your story or advice or question. Maybe you would like to ask the, our community a question or you have a, a subject you'd like us to speak on. Great. I never share your email um, address or anything like that, just your story. So 
As we leave today, I would like to share with you a favorite song of mine for the processional, um, the entrance of the wedding party, or even the bride's entrance. It's called Butterfly Waltz by composer Brian Crane. I especially love this song if you've hired live musicians to play your ceremony music. It's so classic and so beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Peace, love, and be merry, Andrea Pertel, for this joyous occasion officiating services. <laughs> <laughs>